let's just go smash it because we don't have a lot of time and there's so much opportunity now with the internet that you just like stuff that my parents just didn't have so I owe it to myself and I owe it to everybody else around me to just make shit happen as best I can now what I've learned is that very few people feel that way very few people have that same drive that I have to just make amazing shit. Most people are very happy to build up their career slowly but surely and, you know, get married and have a house and stuff. And, and that's fine. So I think it's just finding out who you are. And I have definitely always felt I just wanted to create amazing stuff. I don't know how that is going to manifest itself, but I'm trying my best to make it happen. Hello and welcome to the Citizens of the Internet podcast, a weekly podcast exploring how people learn, earn and live online. It would be hard to talk about the internet without speaking of the burgeoning creator class, the newsletter writers on Substack, the videographers on YouTube, the gamers on Twitch. These people are starting to make serious income on the internet. The top writer on Substack makes $500,000 every year. The top creator on Podia makes $100,000 a month. These stories are wildly impressive, but they're just one piece of a bigger story. The story of the passion economy, or the enterprisation of the consumer. Gig work used to be about the homogenization of workers making each and every worker the same for the consumer's benefit. But now new platforms allow creators to capitalize on creativity. Users can now build audiences at scale and turn their passions into livelihoods, whether that's by playing video games or producing video content like this week's guest. This has huge implications for entrepreneurship and what we'll think of as a job in the future. This week's guest, Thomas Arnold, is leading the way in this domain. At just 23 years old, he's built a loyal following of thousands of followers across numerous social media platforms and is beginning to monetize that with his fast-growing startup, Fearless Media. I really look up to Thomas as a content creator and an entrepreneur, and I learned so much from him in this conversation. If nothing else, his ambition and energy is infectious. And I came away from this conversation incredibly energized, feeling like I could run through walls and move mountains. I hope you get the same sense from this podcast and enjoy it as much as I did. Thomas, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I've been really looking forward to this for a while, ever since we spoke a few months back. Maybe just for the people who aren't as aware of your work as I am, and they're certainly in for a treat if they aren't. Do you mind giving maybe a two-minute intro about who you are, how you've gotten to where you are at the moment, and where you plan to go in the future? Yeah, 100%. Thanks, Will. So Thomas Arnold, 23 years of age, recently completed a Bachelor of Commerce, which is a business degree in UCD in Dublin. I've been making online content since I was about 14, so that's almost a decade worth of content. And my biggest achievements to date have been building my own business in college whilst doing my degree, along with putting out a lot of social media content to just build up a following. And at this point now, I'm at 40K on TikTok, 16K on YouTube, get great engagement on LinkedIn. So a lot of people would know me for 
my personal brand, I guess. They would indeed. They would indeed. And and what a brand it is. And um, something that really sticks out to me, Thomas, about your brand is that you're very authentic and um, with your followers, very personable on camera. And I just wanted to underscore for people that it's really not just for show. I was speaking to a colleague of mine, Brian McGovern, who taught you maths back in the day, um, back when the Dublin Academy of Education was called the Dublin School of Maths. And you were one of his first students and you really stuck out in his mind because after you succeeded in your leaving cert exams and did pretty well, you wrote him a letter thanking him for all the hard work he put in to, to get you to that stage. Is that something you've tried to carry with you throughout life, that habit of going the extra mile and really showing your appreciation for people and connecting with people on a deep level? And is that something you try and um, carry through in your work today? Well, you're a fucking legend. I was saying before this, you do more research than anybody else. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Brian was... I had let's call it a spade a spade i had a poor leaving cert maths teacher and i needed extra help and mom paid for a dublin school of grinds and i'm the type of guy who when i see someone who is a sicko at what they do and when i mean a sicko i mean someone who's just way beyond the average you know they they go above and beyond i immediately respect it because i definitely deep down wants to be that guy as well in my field and when i saw brian teach maths i no joke i i literally saw like an nfl football player or phil the power taylor i just saw someone who was just so good at what they do and i really respected it the lesson i took from brian was that whatever you do give it the utmost professionalism and i guess i'm still to this day trying to fulfill that goal we've heard all about the the numerous followers on the various social platforms but uh, stripping that all back you know before all the fame and the fortune and the success and the adoring fans i wanted to go back to the first time little 14 year old thomas picked up a camera what was the story there why did you get into videography and how did you kind of develop your skills over time i picked up a camera for the first time because I just had an urge to create something. It was after I had been on holidays with my parents and dad told me that he had this video camera. And I was thinking, I just wanted to make it uh, an entertaining skit comedy video. And dad had this old laptop and I just filmed it and sort of put it together and thought it was really cool. But I didn't want to share with anybody because I would have been way too insecure to share stuff online. Um, but I guess as time went on, I just began to push the boat out more and more. And you were saying off air here that, you know, you'd started this podcast during lockdown. When I was 14, first starting making content, I was had Twitter posts. Like I used to do little blogs on WordPress and I just always really wanted to create stuff because I felt as if I had control over that. And even if the teachers wanted me to do stuff and my mom wanted me to do stuff and the world wanted me to do stuff, I had full control. Nobody could tell me what to do when it came to my social media. And if I wanted to say something, I could just be like, fuck you guys. I'm going to say what I want to say. And that's sort of was the motivation to make contents. Yeah. And what were those kind of initial um, steps in making content? What were your first few videos about? So my first videos, and I'm pretty sure they're on YouTube now, if you go to a channel called Cricket Coach Guy, 
Uh, they were in 2011. So that's almost 10 years ago now, almost a decade ago. They were about cricket tutorials. So head a bat in cricket, head a field in cricket, head a anything you would have Google searched. I used to just have a list of videos that I wanted to make and I'd script them, put it together and edit it on my dad's laptop. And I used to put them out every two weeks or so. And that was my beginning. And I learned a lot about community management. So back then people could send you direct messages on YouTube and it was a lot more sort of personal. Nowadays, people just leave comments and if they are really invested, they'll send you a DM on Instagram. Or if they're really, really invested, they might send you an email. But back in YouTube back then, it was mainly based around the community that you built up. And um, I was just trying to be, a, I essentially do good customer service to everybody who commented on the video. So I used to reply yeah, to all yeah. the comments, much like what I do now. And I just wanted to foster that community of people who liked the content that I made. And like it's shit now comparatively, but I never, the stuff I make this year, I'll look back on in two years time and say, oh, it was terrible. But I never really judge myself as I make stuff. I just make stuff because the quickest way to get better is to do it. So um, yeah, I try not to, to judge uh, myself. To become the genius, you have to be uh, content to be thought a fool at the start. You know? um, and uh, I'm not saying that you were a fool, but uh, you have to risk being um, putting yourself out there when you're not fully developed because otherwise... Exactly, you and you're never fully developed. I think the yeah. big thing is your ego is invested in this idea that people think you're something more than you actually are. But when you realize that people really don't care about you or they don't care what car you drive or where you live or any of that bollocks, but what they do care about is you making stuff that they find valuable. So anytime I make content... I'm always focusing on how does the end user, how does the person who I want to talk to, how did they get something for, from what I'm doing? And that's when you focus on that, your ego is removed because it's not about me anymore. It's about what the other person gets. And for someone who is perhaps 18, 19 and sees that you've developed this pretty rare and valuable skill set, would you advise them to go out and just start uh, creating and making stuff like you did and, and learn by doing or um, kind of study it more theoretically? Great question. Everybody's different. The way to figure out which option you should take is by practice. But I think regardless, I'm trying to have the mentality of like, what, however I need to try and level up, let's just level up you know so there's no exact roadmap for that and that's not something that i can say you know that means i put two grand into this every month or it means i do this course or it means it's just the mentality of like let's just go smash it because we don't have a lot of time and there's so much opportunity now with the internet that you just like stuff that my parents just didn't have so i owe it to myself and i owe it to everybody else around me to just make shit happen as best I can. Now, what I've learned is that very few people feel that way. Mm. Very few people have that same drive that I have to just make amazing shit. Most people are very happy to build up their career slowly but surely and you know get married and have a house and stuff. And, and that's fine. So I think it's just finding out who you are. And I have definitely always felt I just wanted to create amazing stuff. I don't know how that is going to manifest itself, but I'm trying my best to make it happen.
some of my friends just hate Zuckerberg and Bezos and all those guys, but I'm really attracted to all those guys. And Steve Jobs always talks, if you go back in any of his old talks, he always talks about creating great products. And I'm all about that. Even if that's a consultancy basis where I'm trying to help someone with their startup or if it's just making the best videos that I can make, I'm all about just creating the best products possible. And uh, that's all I'm trying to do is just make the best products possible because I really, 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 really believe that the way I can provide value to the world is by creating great products. Like I, I am, my gift is I'm going to be able to do this through commerce. Commerce is how I'm going to be able to do this. So I'm just so focused on that. Like I'm just so focused on that. And it would be interesting to have this chat in a few years time to see where that ends up at the moment. It means I have a good business with a few clients that I really care about. I have a decent YouTube channel, but I don't want to stop here. Like I really want to grow and expand and just make stuff better for everybody. So that's where I'm at head wise. Yeah, I really um, liked what you said about just focusing on, on making something great and, um, you know, just make something beautiful and don't think about comparing yourself to, to other people. Like make a great thing and the rest will take care of itself and um, essentially. But uh, it, it is also a unique mindset that you have about wanting to continually improve and not being complacent, let's say, to kind of sit where you are where did you pick that up if if anywhere were there any books or or podcasts or um influential uh thinkers in your development i think with that particular question i get it from my mother my mother was and she's still alive like she's incredibly hard working she grew up in like real poor part of dublin she didn't get her leaving cert to get her accounting exams she like worked a normal job and she would study at night to get to become like a chartered accountant and she's worked her way up the corporate ladder. And I get, I definitely get it from my mother. You know, I think that's just where I've always had that drive from. Yeah. Wow. Fair play to her. She's, she sounds like some woman and she's definitely uh, rubbed off a lot on you by the sounds of it. You're um, a very driven young man. You mentioned earlier that it was a 14 you picked up a camera, but only when you were 18 that you, started to really take it seriously. I was wondering if you had any advice for people trying to make the transition from hobbyist to professional, someone who really wants to make a living out of doing what they love. Any advice there? You know, I think it is that classic thing of when you make enough from the side hustle that you should transition into a full time. I was in the position where when I was 18, I used to work in a, a garden center and I was making like 250 euro, 300 quid a week working four days a week. I used that money to save up for my first camera. And I guess when I went to UCD, although I was making less money initially, I was living at home with my parents. So I didn't have that many expenses. And when in second year, it started to take off better in terms of like making more money and stuff then I was like, oh, this could be a full-time thing. And then by the time the internship year rolled around, I was like, oh, I didn't, like I, I wanted to go on the internship to get experience, but I could have left it and done stuff full-time. And I guess the interesting thing for me now is that I always balance the business with college. And now that college is finished, I, I shit you not, business has blown up the past month and a half. The ability to be able to dedicate all my time to it 
is is like literally 3x in terms of revenue about 3x since I stopped since I finished college so it's been it's been a mental month and a half but yeah there's no class assignments holding you back now yeah full full steam ahead well that sounds great but um it is pretty rare that someone gets a business off the ground in college you know a few people start them that's rare enough but then actually starting a successful business while you're in college very very rare so obviously Thomas you were doing something a little bit different what do you think allowed you to you know succeed in college and then also succeed with your own business on the side is there anything particularly different you were doing to um, most students i just really wanted it to happen you know i i know that's very cliche but i've always been very hard working and i guess if you were to speak to any of my secondary school teachers although i didn't show any sign of entrepreneur entrepreneurialism in secondary school i was always one of the hardest working people even though i felt i didn't have the same talents that other people had i just always worked really hard and i remember probably my most proud achievement from school was i consistently got b's in french in my leave insert and i had a fantastic teacher miss Curtin. And she was always willing to help students who put in extra work. And coming up to my exams, the last month, I did 30 essays in 30 days that I sent to her. And some of them she didn't even check. She must have been like, this guy is fucking crazy. Like, I have a life to live. But I just kept doing the essays, kept doing the essays. And even in the back of my head, I was thinking, look, this might not work out and I might get a B, but at least I'll try and get an A. And French ended up being the only subject I got an A1 in and my leaving. And I was just so proud of it. And it it just was, it just reminded me that hard hard work really does pay off. And I know there's the cliche of you got to work your face off to, you know, I know that's a very cliche, but, but it really is the truth. Like the, the amount of sweat equity you put in really does pay dividends, you know, and it is the stuff that nobody really sees. But when you put in that groundwork, it really does pay off. Like I'm a really big believer in that. And I think it's the only thing that I've had going for me my entire life is that I'm not going to be so arrogant as to say I'm the hardest worker in the room, but I try my best to work as hard as I possibly can. And I'm sure other people can work harder than me. And I'm sure there's ways I can get better, but I am genuinely just trying to work my hardest. And the thing you find out is that most people, they don't really work hard and they, nor do they want to, they don't want to work hard. You know, it's just not something that's in them. So when I was in college, I just focused on trying to work really hard and focus on the things that I like doing as well. Cause it's, it, you'd be surprised how many people do stuff that they hate doing. And obviously, if you hate it, you're not going to work hard at it. Like I work hard at stuff because I really enjoy the impact I'm making financially as well. If you're able to, like I always say this to my friends, that when you have your own business, if I make a new sale, that's going in my back pocket. Whereas if you get a new sale and you're in a corporate job, your salary stays the same. So what is the incentive for you to work harder? It's, it, it makes sense for you to clock off at five. Yeah, I think you're bang on there. Incentives are a huge one. Uh, personal hero of mine, Charlie Munger, says, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. And I think that's so true. And especially owning your own business. There's so much skin in the game there and your effort is directly tied to your financial outcome. So you're really, really incentivized to to work hard and you know hop on more calls and, and secure those clients. And the scene to Lab talks about this as well. He says... 
you know, it's amazing what people will be able to figure out when they're living, you know, literally depends on them figuring it out. And the analogy he uses is, you know, think about all the ingenious ways a drug addict finds money to get their fix. But moving away from that slightly, Thomas, you strike me as uh, something of a contrarian. You know, you're not afraid to go against the grain, so to speak. And in a, a world such as where it's becoming more and more homogenous, you know, with social media um, and people trying to fit a certain mold, you stand out somewhat. You, you know, you didn't drink until you were a certain age, certainly unusual among college students. And um, you started your own business. And do you think of yourself as, as someone who's rebellious, someone who's a contrarian? And do you think it's necessary to be like that to have any sort of, you know, real breakout success? I definitely am quite rebellious. I'd like to think so anyway. And uh, if people... So, for example, you know, there's lots of different thoughts that run through your head as you get older, and you'll find this too, Will, but the biggest one that's running through my head at the moment is so many people our age say, our generation, they're going to be the ones who rent and can't get a house. And I, in my head, I'm like, fuck that. Like, I want a house in two years. Or sorry, I want an apartment in two years. Like, fuck that. Like, that's so fucking stupid. So I definitely try not to linger on thoughts that are genuinely bullshit. You know, they're sometimes people unconsciously say stuff because other people have said it but they haven't thought through it i'm like how the fuck does that make sense and with that particular um point what is the alternative like are you going to sit there and cry and say that you don't have enough money to have an apartment and you're going to rent for the rest of your life or are you going to try and make the money to get an apartment so that you can rent it out your mortgage is covered by the second bedroom you know like i so i try not to be you know bullshitty if that makes sense i am so glad you said that thomas because i am obsessed with that idea that so many of the scripts that you know we've been given to read off we've never you know stopped to examine and see is it actually true reminds me of a david foster wallace commencement speech he gave and he's this brilliant uh, author and at the start of the speech he had this allegory where he said there's these two two young fish just swimming and uh, minding their own business and they run into this elder fish and the elder fish goes how's the water boys and the two young fish look at each other they go what the fuck is water and so the analogy is basically you know we're all swimming in, in water of some sort you know we all have our beliefs that form the boundaries of our world and it's very rare for us to actually stop and examine those things that are shaping the reality around us. And, and it's really hard to realize that, you know, they may not be based on truth. So I think that's a brilliant point. And I'm curious, like, what are some of the most pervasive myths that most college students would believe or the most commonly done things by college students that you think, you know, there's probably a better way of doing that? I think that in general, you all, I think college students just need to be way more aggressive. Like you just need to college and I, I, it doesn't even matter that you're in college, like just start doing shit. You know what I mean? Don't sit there and think that the world comes into place when you finish college. That would be one issue that people have. Another thing as well is people get caught up in this mindset of like, I'm a student, I'm broke. 
I have a censure job. I can't make money. They put so many boxes around themselves and they're self-created boxes. Like they're not real. It's amazing how much of stuff that you say to yourself, you just, like what you say to yourself is your reality. It really, really is. I know that's very self-helpy, but it's so true. Like, you see, what is the difference between me saying to you, I'm going to have 50,000 versus, oh, I'll just settle for 12 thousand subscribers say for example like i'm gonna end up at 12 i don't know what the quote is from henry ford but it's like he who says he can and he who says he's can't are both correct so it's to me and i found this in the business world like i work with people who are way older than me like 40 you know 40 year olds 35 year olds whatever and they don't give a shit that i'm young all they give a shit about is that i'm trying to make shit happen and i have expertise and i just say to college students that like there's so much more out there that you could be doing and there's so much more money you could make people you could meet impact you could make and it doesn't matter that you're a college student like it it age age is but a number you just gotta you just gotta make shit happen you know and it's amazing to me in my business relationships like i was on back-to-back calls since 12 and it's like four now and every conversation ended up with look i'm gonna work my hardest for you let's try and make stuff happen, let's not make excuses, and let's just put our best foot forward, and if you believe in me and pay me properly, I'm going to put my ass on the line for you, because I know I don't know all the answers, but I'm willing to try out loads of answers, and I guess that's the mentality I'd have with that whole thing. It's certainly a great mentality to have. So you mentioned you you do work with a lot of older people, and you've worked with some really big names as well, and Rob Lipset, Greg O'Shea, to name a few. And I was just wondering, what have you gleaned from them that you've tried to take into your own life? What do they do differently that has led to their breakout success? You might say a lot of things, but what are the main lessons that you've learned from them? I think that you're only one piece of content away from being famous. So Greg O'Shea was on Love Island and that catapulted his career to where he can turn it into a revenue stream and people know him now and even if he wasn't the same rugby player personality he wants to become a solicitor people know him you know they they know his face and and that brand awareness is the first step in business like just you know reaching out to someone just because you've seen a piece of their content before it immediately makes the sales process a lot easier so i think what I've learned from them, those guys, and with Rob Lipset, I can't point out in particular what blew him up, but he had a he had a protein pancakes video that did very well. You, you really are only one piece of content away from changing your whole life, and that I think is what I've learned the most. Yeah, that's a great point. Really, you really only have to be right once, as Ray Kroc of McDonald's said, to you know be successful and. It all it takes as well as one viral hit um, to make or break a content creator's career. But maybe that's not the whole picture. I was reading a book called Smart Cuts by Shane Snow. And he contrasted these two people. One guy was this guy that it was a viral video a while back. He got really fired up after seeing a double rainbow and had a quick hit of fame but he couldn't sustain it because there was no backlog of quality content for people to explore once they got curious about him. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there was a woman, Michelle Fan, who got a huge burst of attention after doing a video on Lady Gaga, 
she was able to sustain it because she had created a reservoir, is what he calls it, of content. A similar story, um, Sal Khan of Khan Academy had published a thousand math lessons um, before he was noticed by Bill Gates and he got his big break then. So these people put themselves in position. They had all this potential energy stored up for a big break. They put themselves in the right position for it. And that was certainly the case with, with Rob Lips. It had published a load of videos before anyone took any notice. And um, same with Gary Vaynerchuk, all those wine library videos um, published before anyone started caring about his stuff. And um, probably to a lesser extent with, with Greg O'Shea, but I suppose he had he had interesting stuff about him too. You know, he was a, he was a professional rugby player when he got on Love Island. So people have reasons to care about them. I was just curious how, when you're starting out, do you think about making people care who you are? You've got a pretty well-developed personal brand. And how do you make people care about who you are and what you do? Yeah, great question. I think it is a combination of both. You know, there's it's interesting for me to have chats with people who could run very successful businesses like B2B businesses. It could be SaaS software or they could have a startup and it they sort of s- succeed with very little social media work put in. And then they try and they pay me to start making stuff. And you realize very quickly that to build an audience is probably one of the most difficult things, endeavors you can have on the internet. Cause it's exactly what you said there. It's how do I make people care? And, and that's a really difficult question to sort of, or it's a really difficult problem to solve. So I think how I go about solving it and how I've tried to anyway, is first of all, make sure you have a personal brand. So People love to interact with people way more than they like to interact with a business. So if I was a barber shop, I'd be saying, let's base it around Benny the barber rather than the barber shop and how cool the the haircuts are. And I'd be trying to put out a lot of content that is sort of based around my life because whatever my life is, maybe that means I'm going through stuff or if anybody's seen my YouTube channel, I've spoken recently about Joe Rogan because I was interested in his Spotify deal and then my first car. And I was just talking about stuff that I don't really need to manufacture. It's stuff that I'm going through. And you, I know that there's going to be other people who resonate with that. So I'd put the emphasis on A, make a personal brand and two, talk about stuff that is personal to you because I guarantee you there's going to be people out there who resonate with it. And even if that's a small amount of people, you don't need a huge amount of them to make a business out of it. There's that essay called A Thousand Fans by, I don't know who wrote it. It was uh, Kevin Kelly, I think. Will, you're so on the ball. Um, but you need a thousand true fans to you know pay you a hundred dollars a year and you've got a hundred K. And I know that's oversimplistic, but that's what I focused on recently anyway is, and to be honest, Will, you'd be one of them. You know, you'd be the target demographic. For me, it's young lads, particularly in South Dublin, just because I'm, I'm living here in South Dublin. And I think it's sort of quite, it sort of resonates with them a bit because, you know, I just, they go to UCD as well and stuff. But, you know, there's some people from, that particular demographic and young lads they just they love the contents like they just love it and instead of me trying to capture loads of attention and trying to be as big as rob lipset or something i'm just trying to hone in on the people who i can actually help 
Yeah, I think that's that's a really, really good point that you want to have a small group of people that really, really deeply love your work. And that's going to be way more valuable than large swaths of people that are kind of indifferent to your work or, you know, think it's okay. And um, there's a, a line from Tim Ferriss, I think, that write for the passionate few, not the indifferent many, that I think about a lot. And actually, just on the Kevin Kelly Thousand True Fans article, it's a really, really good one. There's a new one out actually by Lee Jin. She's a former partner in the A16Z Venture Capital Fund. And she says, a thousand true fans, try 100. So these days with things like Patreon and really easy ways to monetize your audience, the more passionate your fans are, the less you need. And so... By focusing on such a niche area and by being so clear on what your value proposition to them is, you know, I'm a videographer, I'm all these things and things that you do say, have you noticed that that has brought you opportunities over time that you become known for this thing? There is, you know, there's points at which, you know, if, you, if I'm constantly saying to my network that I'm a videographer and social media content creator, I'm a videographer, social media content creator, when that problem comes up in their business it makes natural sense for them to reach out to me and that type of effect has definitely compounded over time as i've developed my relationships in college and developed like word of mouth has developed and stuff yeah and you definitely are top of mind when i think of if i was using a videographer you know you you definitely be the first in mind and um, so you've done really well there and it room it's it's interesting because I feel like I'm more of a generalist, right? So I'm interested in many things and have a few different skills that maybe overlap in certain areas, but there's no one kind of spike, no one area where I could claim to be as good as you are in videography. So I'm wondering, how do you feel about the kind of specialist versus generalist debate? Should people specialize and really master one area before moving on to the next? Or should they explore a few different skills and, and come up with a kind of a unique combination that puts them in a in a category of one so to speak i'd be just really curious to hear your opinion on that so my answer is not representative of the population or anything but i think it's better to hone down on one thing that you're good at and look you know video is very broad in terms of there's lots of stuff you can do but i wouldn't really want to if I was making a new business, I would make sure that it's a good product extension of my skill set already. So for example, if I started a marketing consultancy business, that would sort of be a natural progression of my skills. It would, you know, the skills start with learning camera work and then that now has become more than just make the videos, but having conversations with people around how can we use the digital platforms to amplify those videos and just amplify campaigns in general. And then that would then transform into not doing all the videos myself, but sort of manning an agency where other people take on the creative aspect and I deal with the more murky waters of budgets and how, how brands overcome challenges and stuff. So I, I think it's better to go for one thing rather than divert your attention loads of different ways. And there's that book called The One Thing by Gary Keller, I think. And he basically says that like you should focus on one thing that you're great at 
I understand for a lot of people that's ha- very hard to do, but you only find it through practice. And I wouldn't worry about how quickly you get there. You know, Ray Kroc, he was in the 60s before he started McDonald's. So you've got plenty of time. I was just a little bit lucky, definitely lucky to figure out that I liked video at such an early age. Yeah, and I suppose you were lucky in that sense that you fell upon video at such an early age, but you still had to develop a passion for it over time. And Fair play to you for that. I think passion tends to follow effort and not the other way around. So if you put the effort in to get good at something, that's when you start to become really passionate about it. And there's research showing that you know, people feel passionate about the stuff that they're good at. And this is what Daniel Pink has discovered in his books and Cal Newport as well. And so good they can't ignore you. But yeah, I think that's important for for young people to, to keep in mind, not be filled with this existential dread as they, you know, wander around looking for their passion. So that's a good note to, to finish the kind of interview part on. And Thomas, I was wondering uh, if you'd mind jumping into a few quick-fire questions. I'm excited. Perfect. So the first question is one I came across on Tyler Cowen's Marginal Revolution Economics blog. And it's one that I've become really fascinated by because in, in sports and in music, there's a lot of deliberate practice goes on, right? There are very deliberate things that players and musicians can do to get better at their craft and they do them day in day out in a really really rigorous way there's no real obvious analogous thing for for knowledge workers to do so my question to you thomas is what is the thing that you do every day that is closest to a pianist practicing their scales or a basketball player shooting hoops let's say sales calls from a business point of view like the more sales calls i go on the better equipped i am to sort of articulate to a business owner or the decision maker how we can work together when i was starting off doing this when i was 18 19 it's like oh yeah you can make a video and it's great and uh yeah whereas now i just have more domain experience with it from a video point of view i just focus on edit edit, edit every day and learn from people who are better than me sales calls noted so putting yourself out there like in a way that's not easy and you really have to think on your feet and you you can't hide away from it that seems like a great way to to practice you know selling your value proposition to someone else that that's really interesting okay so another quick fire question is what is the book that you have gifted most often shoe dog by phil knight i really like that book i'd say like the one thing by gary keller is also a great book i'm not big into i think tony robbins is cool now but like i'm not into the awaken the power within and all that stuff and i was into that when i was 16 but now i'm way more practical about oh zero to one by peter Thiel. zero to one by peter Thiel. great book and like i think and look i'm i'm only i think i'm pretty happy with what i've done so far I've got a lot more to contribute to the world, but I love that line about everything, every major thing that happens in business only happens once. And um, like, I really take that to heart and try and 
put it into practice, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point um, for people to take in and one that Peter really, really hammers home in zero to one. Um, and we're really seeing it this year with COVID and all the things happening this year, all these Black Swan events, that history doesn't walk in a linear path. The path, it crawls, and then some years it leaps, and you have weeks where decades of history will happen. And so to be able to capitalize on those huge shifts in the world you really, you can't time them because you, you won't be able to see them coming. But the only way to do it, as Nassim Salab talks about, is trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. And the more things you try, the more surface error you have for luck to come into contact with you, the more chance you have of getting lucky and riding one of those big waves. And I think that's important to note. Um because when you get it right, you're really right. And that pays for all the failures. So, yeah, that's an important one to understand. Um, and a really, really good book that I recommend anyone who's thinking of, of being an entrepreneur check out. And you probably have by this stage if you're listening to this podcast. But another question I have for you, Thomas, and I'm just shamelessly stealing from Tim Ferriss here, um, is if you could have one billboard that you know you could show to the rest of the world, what would you put on it and why? Good question. Be brave. And I just say that because I think it's important to take direct, take steps in the direction that you want to go. And, you know, look, everything you do, there's going to be an element of uncertainty. But if you just be brave and say that you can do this, I think great things happen when you back yourself. Oh, back yourself might be a better phrase. Let's go with that. Be brave and back yourself. <laughs> That's um, certainly a, a good message for, for people to hear. So final question, Thomas. And it's it's a strange one. So say I was giving out shares in my future, let's say. Um, so you had a financial stake in my future and you had ownership. And I guess you'd be invited on to my personal board of directors then. What would you ensure I experienced over the next few years, say while in college? What skills did you make sure I learned? And what would you advise me to do if you had a financial stake in my future? Great question. Better, it's, that's a better way of phrasing it than what would I say to my younger self? I like the idea of having equity in Will Robbins' future. I just say to take as many risks as you can. And that's, you know... I'm not say, telling you to jump off a cliff, but I'm saying take as many calculated risks as you possibly can because you've no idea how a certain venture can change your life. You really don't. You know, like we all think that it goes back to the Peter Thiel book. We all think that, you know, stuff happens sequentially and you're in a job, you earn more, you, you get a girlfriend, you get a house, you get a car, blah, 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 versus if you're able to take risks on a calculated basis, you can take like quantum leaps in your life that you would never have been able to predict before. The types of quantum leaps that people will look in hindsight and say, oh, it was such a simple solution or I should have thought of doing that. But that comes from the place of, I'm gonna take a stab into the ether here of which I am not certain but I'm going to experiment with stuff that I feel 
could turn out well in my favor. Couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's that's really, really good advice. I'll take it on board. And I think I've definitely learned a lot from you today, Thomas. And I continue to learn a lot from you on social media. Um, and I think, yeah, your message is a powerful one. Nobody cares how old you are. You know, go out and seize the opportunities and learn skills so that you can de- actually deliver value to people and just go out and, and, and try and have an impact in the world. And, you know, don't be stymied by what people think or say you can do. I'm, you know, I'm coming away from this really energized and I think that's how people tend to walk away from from watching your stuff feeling so thanks for all the the great work you're doing and thanks for coming on the podcast today thomas wish you all the best in the future i'm sure you'll continue to thrive and only you're only gonna get better from here well you're a gen thanks so much for having me on